Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Hi, I'm Angelo Ponzi, your host here at the Business Growth Cafe, and thank you for stopping by. Have you ever been in a situation where you're feeling stressed? You really want to get to the next level in your business? Maybe it's your personal life too, but think about business. You want, you, you're you growing your business, you're, you're pushing up against that ceiling, and how do you take it to the next level? Who do you talk to? Who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters, for sure. You might be looking for a coach. And in some cases, you might be looking for a therapist. You heard me right. Nobody's got to lay down on any couches. But I have Glenn Gao, CEO therapist on the show today. Now, Glenn really works with the CEO, various CEOs in, in his consulting business. But to be a CEO coach, I think you have had to have been a CEO. And Glenn was. For 25 years, he ran a successful business. He's worked with companies such as Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, Cisco, a wide variety of organizations. So he's really got a good perspective on what drives CEOs, how to get them to that next level when they start to bump against that ceiling. So I want you to stay tuned today. Get out that notepad, as I like to say, take some notes. I think you're going to learn something. And if anything else, you're going to meet a great guy who really knows his stuff. So stay tuned. I'll be right back. A chief marketing officer has both the power and the responsibility to drive long-term strategic growth that can ultimately lead to organizational prosperity. And that growth starts with a vision. What is your firm's definition of success? Growth? How will you strategically work towards expansion, for example? Equally important, what is your customer's perception of your firm? And how well do you meet a need or deliver value? When you begin to align your vision with that of your customer, you build a stronger, lasting relationship with them. You see the whole picture, realizing the lifetime value of that customer, as well as the lifetime value you provide. A CMO must look at success with a strategic mindset, looking beyond the transactional. The CMO must understand the customer journey, utilizing the competitive intelligence, embracing and leveraging your unique market insights. If your business is ready for growth and you need a CMO, but you're not quite ready for a full-time person yet, I'd welcome the opportunity to explore the benefits of using a fractional CMO. Visit theponzagroup.com to learn more. As I mentioned, I have Glenn Gao, CEO therapist, I want to say CEO therapist to the stars. I don't know why I want to say that. For some reason, uh, I, I hear that therapist to the stars. But really, if you think about it, he's worked with companies that are stars, Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, Cisco, and Google. Glad to welcome to the Business Growth Cafe. Really happy to be here, Angelo. Yeah, I'm excited. Now, we we belong to a networking group, and, and while we've technically never met in person, uh, seems like we're old friends. I've seen you probably a hundred times in the last uh, last year. It, it, it feels like anyway, maybe not quite a hundred, but certainly a lot. No, I, I'm I'm really pleased with our ability to get to know people and each other as we have, even in a virtual environment. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're up in the kind of the San Francisco area in California. I'm in Southern California, so we. 
if we wanted to get together for coffee, it's a seven hour drive one way or the other. That's right. <laughs> I'll, That's meet right. You, I'll meet you in the Central Coast. <laughs> okay, San Luis Obispo. There you go. There we go. <laughs> So, Glenn, before we start, why don't you take a few minutes to tell the audience about you and your business? Sure, absolutely. My my clients call me the CEO therapist. That means I'm a CEO coach. And I was a CEO for 25 years. During that time, I myself had a coach for 17 of those years. It was a very transformative experience for me. After I did that work as a CEO, I was in venture capital for five years, and that's where I started coaching CEOs. I started coaching the CEOs of our portfolio companies, and something really interesting happened. Those CEOs told me they liked what I was doing, and I discovered I loved what I was doing. And as of the beginning of this year, 2021, I left venture capital to do this work full time. Mm. It is a real passion of mine. I get up in the morning excited knowing I'm going to be talking to some CEOs that day and helping them grow. And that's what my 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 life is all about. So I feel very fulfilled uh, doing this work. Now, uh, if I remember from my reading, I think your consulting company was called Crimson. That is right. Crimson Consulting Group. Okay. And we, for 25 years, worked with large technology companies. So you may have heard of Apple and Google and Facebook and Never Microsoft. And, <laughs> and, um, and, and we were helping them with marketing strategy. Um, and then... So those are large companies, and then interestingly, when I got into venture capital, I worked with small companies, and so now I feel very lucky to be able to span or cover the entire span of size of companies. Well, you know, uh, talking about the companies that you've worked with, I mean, those are obviously some of the biggest brands in the world, and and so what what led you to to make this decision to become a therapist? What led me was an interesting journey with my coach. What I didn't realize uh, while I was being coached by this person, I was focused on on growing the company. Mm -hmm. But what I didn't realize is she was teaching me how to coach. So every time we met, I was learning something about how the mind works, the mind of the CEO. In fact, what's interesting about that relationship that's still an important relationship in my life is that my coach was not an expert in business at all. What she was an expert in was the mental game, okay. how a CEO needs to transform the way they operate in order to grow first themselves and then to grow the company. So I recognize that I have a lot of operational skills and when I'm working with my CEOs, often we're talking about cash flow forecasting or fundraising or whatever might be in the operational realm. At the same time, because I was coached for so long on the mental game, we might talk about how they can improve who they are, how they can change who they are, how they can lean into their discomfort and grow as a result of that. So that's really where the spark came from, was the recognition that I had this unique combination of the operations and the mental game. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, so many times we, we from our side where we talk to our clients about the time they spend working in their business versus on their business. And it sounds like that's really what you're working with your clients on is, is taking that time to understand that on the business and that transformative aspect of looking at growth from a different perspective. That's right. That's right. So we all know the, uh, the e-myth phrase that you just used, which I like a lot. You want to get to a place where you can spend time on the business and not in the business. Now, fortunately, uh, most of my CEOs are, have already gotten there. But what they haven't thought through, typically, is how do they work on themselves as well? Okay. How do they become a better leader, a better manager? How do they bring in better talent? How do they keep that talent motivated and aligned? How do they, they themselves personally create a culture that helps the company be more effective in what they do? These are some of the things that we work on. Well, and, and culture is obviously incredibly important, and, and culture does start at the top. If the leadership is not helping to create the culture, ensuring that it, it trickles down, does never trickles up, it's always you're, down. Angela, you're absolutely right. And some of my CEOs, are not quite aware of the fact that there's already a culture in the company and it comes from the way the CEO works and that everything they do and say has an impact on that culture. What's what's really interesting is when they become conscious and aware of what they want the culture to be and that they can influence that culture in everything they do and say. And once they adopt that, they recognize, I can scale this company through the culture that I'm creating because I'm not going to have a chance and an opportunity to interact with every single employee mm-hmm. or to help them understand what to do. But I can I can have a, an amazing influence over the cultural aspects. And the way I think about this is the culture is represented in values. And the importance of values is as a CEO, you want to know that somebody who joins the company who understands those values can make the right decisions when there's no one around, when mm-hmm. there's no one to call, when there's no one to ask, what should I do? Ultimately, that's what you're trying to do through culture and values is enable people to understand what is the right thing to do in this moment. You know, it's an interesting aspect that you bring up and, and I've been fortunate, you know, I'm a fractional CMO, but I've been, I've, built and, and sold my own business. I've sat at the table as a chief strategy officer working with people. I've actually run HR departments as under my purview. And you might ask, how did that happen for the marketing? Yeah, guy I, I right? was curious about that, Angela. <laughs> yeah, running HR and talent acquisition, which was a very interesting thing. But uh, but one of the things that I found, and I'm thinking of a particular company, I had like 10 talent acquisition people and I had the head of HR that were under my purview. And, and the, the reason I think I got involved because I was complaining to the CEO who was, you know, I was her right hand man and saying, uh-huh. I don't think we're hiring the right people because they're looking at the resume, but these people are walking in the door from a cultural standpoint. They don't fit their, how they perceive themselves or the values that they hold don't fit with the company yet. We're not examining them. And my concern is you're bringing in people, which I had seen that didn't fit. And then they were leaving. So now you've got the recruitment time, the investment, the training, and boom, they're gone in 90 days. And right. these were 
some of these folks were, you know, senior leadership and, yeah. you know, th those hurt the country co company. And I think that's an interesting aspect that kind of tie that together that you're talking about. Well, good for you to notice that. Right. I mean, it's too easy to fall into the resume trap where everybody went to a good school or had certain types of experiences. But we're not asking ourselves, what kind of people are we bringing on board and do they do they believe in our values? Can they live our values? So one one value we often see in a company is customer centricity or focus or mm -hmm. uh, looking to create a great customer experience. Well, there are people out there who just don't believe in that as a value. And uh, I'll give an example. Um, one of my favorite airlines out there is Southwest Airlines. They know how to hire amazing people. And the way they do it, Angelo, is fascinating. So if I wanted to become a flight attendant at Southwest Airlines, I would be in a room with maybe 30 other people who are interviewing for the job. And Southwest is going to ask me to get up in front of the room as part of my interview process and tell a story about myself. And in the room are the Southwest talent acquisition team. What's fascinating about what they do is that this talent acquisition team does not watch the person at the front of the room telling the story. They watch everybody else in the room. They're looking for people who are paying attention to the person at the front of the room. Because some people are not. They're looking at their phone, their, their heads are down, they're looking at the ceiling. But the people who are paying attention to the individual at the front of the room who's speaking are empathetic people. Mm -hmm. And that's what Southwest is looking for. So they created this value test, essentially, to say, we're going to enable people who uh, can demonstrate our values to at least make it through the next round of interviews. And I, I just find that fantastic, a great, great way to think about what's important and how do we demonstrate that through the recruiting process. I, I've never heard that story before. And that's, that is just fascinating to me. And I have a friend of mine who's in the re hiring and recruitment business and, and, and usually senior people. And he says, you know, once he gets them to the point where, you know, they're talking about, they're looking at the resume, blah, blah, blah. And they think they're the right candidate. And he takes them through these battery of tests and kind of uses data science to figure out what the job needs and can they execute on the job? It's great. I, I love the program. But then he takes them out. Yes. And, he, and he'll, I mean, whether he does it on purpose or have, he watches, does he thank people? Does, you know, they've created situations where that, you know, the food comes out wrong, just doing things to see now that they're not in recruitment mode, right? Best behavior. How do these people really act? And, and I think that's extremely important that because it's back to do they fit in the company? Are they the person that's going to be screaming at people because they can't handle situations or how do they you know, control themselves and, and, and communicate and, and deal with those situations. I was very fortunate when I, many years ago, when I first moved to California, come out and looking for a job, uh, my sister had a friend who was a recruiter. And so he, I met with him once a week and he just, you know, taught me how to communicate and, and types of questions that I might get asked. I, I mean, so I had a, leg up on a lot of people because I was getting, you know, peek under the tent, right? right. I had to pull the curtain back from the man behind the curtain. And right. uh, and so I don't think people really take a lot of any considerations, right? Yeah, they got the right, you know, I, I actually got a resume from 
uh, one of my clients said, hey, can you look at this? I want to hire this person. And I, my first reaction was, did you just pull this off the internet? Because <laughs> what you described to me isn't just, you know, it's just all cookie cutter stuff. No, that's a great, I love the social environment test, uh, mm -hmm. taking somebody out maybe for lunch or dinner. And uh, I got to think about that. I, I like uh, telling the waiter to mess up the order. That would be really interesting yeah, to see what yeah. happens. Well, you know, simple things. Do they hold the door open for somebody or, that you know, just thank somebody or they treat right. them like, hey, you're the hired help. I don't have to say anything to you. So, um, so, so as a CEO, let's say someone says, what? I got pains, I got issues, you know, what, what prompts them to pick up the phone and give you a call? Angelo, they, the first step is that the, the individual, the CEO, needs to acknowledge that there's a reason every great athlete in the world has a coach. It's not because they're not already great athletes. It's because those athletes have a desire to be the best. Now, here's a little secret. Every great CEO has a coach. You just don't know about it. They don't show up at the earnings calls or they're not up on the stage, but every great CEO has a coach. So it's the acknowledgement that I as a person can become even better than I am already. That's step one. Step two is they have to be coachable. Now what I mean by that is, Coachability means that I'm going to do something out of my comfort zone. My coach is there to nudge me out of my comfort zone to say, you need to do this because it's part of your growth and it's important to the company. I'll tell you a story around that. So one of my clients is hiring a lot of people, senior people, and twice in a row, senior people had signed the offer letter and they didn't show up. I mean, ghosted. Like just, just not showed up? Just not showed up. Wow. Now, part of that is the crazy environment we're living in right now uh, in terms of recruiting and retaining people. Mm -hmm. But I asked the CEO, I said, well, what are you doing between the time they sign the offer letter and the day they're supposed to show up? And the CEO said, well, I delegate that to the recruiting team, which kind of sounds reasonable on the surface until people start ghosting you. I said, you need to get on a plane and take that person out to dinner as soon as they sign the offer letter. And my CEO said, now mind you, he's very, very technical. He said, Glenn, I don't really like people all that much. <laughs> I don't wanna do that, plus I wouldn't even know what to say. And I said, look, if you, if it, what happens when somebody signs the offer letter is they're not bonded yet and they need to bond to you, the CEO. And the only way you're going to do that at that moment is you need to meet them personally. In spite of the fact that maybe we have to wear masks, you need to meet them personally. And I said, look, it's not that hard to have a good experience with people. All you have to do is ask open-ended questions during the dinner about what they want, who they are, what does their family like, what do they do personally, what's important to them. And to this person's credit, they, they did exactly what I had suggested. It's out of their comfort zone, right? But it's part of the growth. So it's an example of any CEO who wants to grow needs somebody out there, some coach out there in the universe, could be me, could be anybody who's good at what they do, 
to coach them to grow. It's all about growth. Okay. Uh, you had sent me some information in, in, in going through that. And one of the things you, you were saying in this article is you talk about how people react to particular situations, mm. right? And that it's automatic. It's, something happens, you know, the, the hair on my neck goes up and, you know, I want to. But the response itself is not necessarily automatic. So exactly. I, I want to kind of dig into that a little bit, because ultimately, from what I read, is you're 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 looking to change behaviors. Correct. And there's that process. So, you know, let, let's kind of dig into that. And I'm going to go even deeper a little bit, but because behavior changing doesn't, you know, it's like tomorrow I'm going to change my behavior and I wake up and I'm completely different. Right. And 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 I and I know for a fact over the years when I was, I'm, you know, full blooded Italian when I was younger, man. You know, I was quick to react and quick to snap, and sure. and, I, and I had to change that um, to to you know step back, think a bit, count to five or six, and which I think is one of the things you talk about taking a pause. That's right. And, and that pause allowed me to get my composure and change, and, and now it's just normal, right? So well, good. For anyway, you. let's dig into that. Okay. Into that idea. All right. Well, good for you, Angela. You're you're what I call an advanced student because you've already done a lot of this work. <laughs> All right. Uh, what I talk what I talk to CEOs about is that we will often encounter situations that make us unhappy. It could be that an executive uh, on their team comes in and says, "We're not going to make the numbers this quarter," or "We didn't do well on this particular project with this client. We kind of screwed up," or "We're behind somewhere on a project." And like you said, we have an automatic reaction. That reaction comes from, and, and it's something we cannot change. The automatic reaction usually comes from a part of our brain called the amygdala, which is designed to protect us. And so we respond instantly. And so for example, me, my, my automatic response is I become defensive. Mm -hmm. So if my wife says something to me that I'm not happy about, I become defensive. I don't like that about myself, but it's it's my automatic reaction. I may have learned that, like many of us, we learn behaviors from incidents in our childhood. And they're, they're what I call success patterns. They're success patterns because most of the time they work. This is why we use them, especially at the CEO level. We've gotten somewhere, we've accomplished something. These success patterns serve us mm, until they don't. This often happens when a company is scaling, where the success patterns that enable the CEO to get to a certain place are no longer viable as the company grows, as the team grows, as the need at the highest level, the CEO level, grows and changes. So what I, what I help CEOs do is identify those success patterns and then teach themselves how to build new ones. And I think the way, the way you described it is, is, is pretty effective, which is when something happens, I'm going to react. We're not gonna make the numbers this quarter. I might be upset, I might be scared because the, the board might be looking at whether or not I should have this role. Um, I could have a lot of negative reactions. What I teach the CEOs to do is to pause, like you said, and what the pause does is it enables us, remember I said you can't help that reaction, it happens. But the pause says, 
how am I going to respond? You, it gives you the logical brain can come in and ask, how am I going to respond to this issue in a positive way, in an optimistic way, in a motivational way? Because that's what I want to be as a CEO. I don't have to let those emotions carry the day. I can step back and say, if we're not going to make the numbers this quarter, then I need to sit down with my head of sales and have a conversation about what's not working, even though I might be really angry at that person at the moment. Instead, what I want to be is I want to be curious. I want to discover what's not working, mm -hmm. and I don't want to blame anyone. So by taking that pause and choosing a different response, I'm actually creating new neural pathways in the brain that are more powerful. Now, another thing that I recommend related to all of this to my CEOs, I recommend to all of them, is to learn how to meditate. Okay. And what meditation does is it helps you understand a couple of things. One is that you recognize that your issues, your particular issues, which might seem like the most important one ever in the moment, we're not going to make our numbers this quarter, in reality is a fairly trivial, trivial issue in the whole scope of your life. So that's one thing meditation does, is help you understand the issues you deal with are really not all that important. They feel like it in the moment, but they're not really all that important. There are other things that are more important. The second thing it does is it teaches you breathing. And in the pause, the most effective way to pause is to take a deep, deep breath and settle yourself. This is the equivalent of you counting to four or five. Maybe you can do that while you're, while you're breathing. And now what that does is it, it enables you to step back just a little bit and say, what's a better way to respond to this situation? And you can be much more in effective in your response when you, when you enable that pause to happen. Mm -hmm. When um, one of my first uh, maybe my third job at a very large uh, international advertising agency. And, and therefore they had a lot of money and they had a lot of training. And we used to get lessons training on speaking, public speaking, sure. presentations and stuff like that. And I think that's kind of the, the root of the breathing that kind of came along because mm. the pause and, and what they would say, you know, if, if you're giving a presentation and you get lost, Right. The first reaction is to start, you know, bumbling and making making excuses. I'm sorry. I don't know what. And their point is, and I and I remember this to this day, whatever comes out of my mouth is what the audience potentially believes meant to come out of my mouth. Uh -huh. so if I'm just, you know, looking confused and apologizing, sorry, this and that. So they taught us to take a pause to get composure. And part of that might be to get a glass of water, uh, you know, to look at the sky, make it look, you know, whatever, to make yourself, just give yourself those three or four or five seconds to get back on track. Right. And so I think that was part of the, the root of that. And I, I still practice that today, um, utilizing, you know, those pauses to my advantage, especially when I'm giving presentations. Right. Um, but yeah, there, I mean, it's it's a lot of that because ultimately it's about growth. How do you continue to grow and, 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 and evolve 
That's right. right. Not only as a leader or as a presenter or whatever it happens to be. Absolutely right. And and another another part of this is uh, I want to go back to the, the our natural responses served us to a certain point. Mm-hmm. And now as the company grows, the role of the CEO has to change. And that means it's going to be uncomfortable. Now I might start to have to do things that are important as the role of the CEO, but are not things that I'm normally good at, like my example where the CEO doesn't really like people all that much. (laughs) Well, okay, you may may never be world-class at interacting with people, but you have to get pretty good at it because your role is the CEO, and there's no way around it. Uh, and, And so if you're willing, if you're willing to grow and you're willing to hear from someone else who can see a different perspective because they're not you, that being the coach, if you're willing to grow, the opportunity to grow as a CEO is infinite. This is why I had a coach for 17 years because I kept getting just a little bit better. Every month or so, I could see how I was getting a little bit better. And I loved that. I loved that self-improvement, that ability to perform at a higher level. There's one other thing I want to mention, Angelo. This might be unique to me, which is I want CEOs to perform at a higher level, but I also want them to be happy. It's amazing how many CEOs are really not all that happy. The pressure in that role is enormous. It's always that we need to grow faster. It's always that we need to reduce retention. We need to reduce reduce turnover. We need to make our customers happier. We need to make more money. We need to be more profitable. Massive pressure. And it can come from themselves or it can come from the board or external constituents. The result of that pressure is that many CEOs are really not happy at all in their role. You would think achieving that role would enable some happiness, but that's not the case. So what I what I work on, and I think it's extraordinarily important, is to help them deal with that pressure so that they are happy in their role. And 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 I, I that's as a part as a core to my my practice is helping them feel good when they wake up in the morning about the challenges in front of them and feel good at the end of the day about what they've accomplished. Mm-hmm. Well, and that happiness too is going to spill over into their personal life and just like the negativity spills over into our personal lives. Absolutely. And sometimes we spend a fair amount of time on their personal life. Yeah. It's uh, sometimes a requirement because for that, especially for the CEO role, it's, it's harder than most roles to separate what they're doing from their personal life because they're on call 24-7. They're expected to make the big decisions on Sunday evening if a big decision needs to be made. And so how do they protect their personal life? And how do they ensure that they're spending quality time with the people most important to them? Mm-hmm. Very hard because of the pressures they feel at work. Sure, sure. The I want to go back to the kind of the success patterns and what we were talking about. And you kind of had it in three parts. I want to make sure we got to the last part. And sure. There was, we talked a lot about the pause. But part of the upfront was you had it talked about observing. Ah, and, and, yes. Thank you. And taking yourself, you know, out of body experience, right? And, you know, watching yourself and observing your That's reactions right. to help you make those changes. 
thank you thank you for uh, bringing that up it's it's an extraordinarily powerful way to think about the world and yourself which is if you can imagine there is the camera behind your head on the ceiling and that camera is always there Angelo 24 7 it's watching it's a reality and, show <laughs> that's right that's right exactly well it's a special camera because not only is it watching but it can hear what you're saying and it can understand what you're thinking and off in a distant room behind a big flat panel display is the observer and the observer is you now what's magical about this is you can get to a place where something happens and you step back as the observer importantly the observers not a judge the observer says isn't it interesting that I reacted that way it could be isn't it interesting I got really mad at that person who came in and said we're not gonna make our numbers isn't it interesting the first thought was I'm gonna fire that person isn't it interesting that my blood pressure went through the roof when they came through that door now if you teach yourself to observe this actually helps with the pause because you just notice you just notice oh I reacted hot-blooded anger and then when you pause Angelo you can now say oh I have options now on how I respond maybe I'm not gonna yell at the person this time maybe I'm gonna get curious about why are we not going to make our numbers maybe I can even be empathetic to the head of sales and say gosh this must feel terrible what can we do and think of that person bringing the bad news if the CEO can be curious can be empathetic that empowers that individual who was normally afraid of getting yelled at mm -hmm. to a place where maybe they step into problem-solving mode with you and they have suggestions on what we can do to make the numbers but if you're interacting with someone because uh, or, or who's gonna get defensive and feel bad based on your behavior you're not gonna make any progress so the observer mode is really powerful you learn so much about yourself by watching mm -hmm. now obviously it's you know you're it's not a court-ordered uh therapy session so people are coming to you because they want to yes and or and or need to but either way they're making a conscious decision to pick up that phone and come to you so in in what you're describing and, and just even knowing myself it doesn't happen overnight so what you know what's kind of a process that someone goes through i mean again this isn't a hey it's monday fix me by friday right so how right. does that how does that work well, it's an exploration and an ongoing process. The way the way it works is uh, very simple. Um, I kind of like this model where I don't have to prepare for the meeting with my CEO and they don't have to prepare for the meeting. And typically we work for one hour a week. We just meet every week for an hour. What happens is really fascinating, Angelo, is that the issues emerge in language, meaning the CEO starts talking about whatever issue it is that's important to them at the moment and the way they speak about the issue helps to uncover what's really going on 
I've had a CEO say to me, I'm really angry at the world. Oh, well, we really need to understand what does that mean? As it re does, how does it affect your behavior if you're really angry at the world? Now, that's a very personal thing to say, but it was core to what was going on. They were dealing from this place of anger. Other times, they'll just say, um, I'm really worried about the next round of fundraising. And what we'll do is we'll explore where is that coming from and what do we do about it? Sometimes it has to be very pragmatic, practical advice. Oh, let's build a list of all the people you might be able to raise money from. Let's build a campaign for how you get to those people. Let's make sure, this is where you come in, Angelo, let's make sure your messaging is exactly what you want it to be when you communicate with that target audience. We might get really, really practical in that regard. And one of the things I, I just want to give a shout out to Provisors, I very often ask a CEO, would you like to meet someone who can help you with that? because my work is one hour a week with just the CEO. But all these issues that we uncover often require the help of outsiders. Mm -hmm. And I wanna create a three-way win. I wanna win, I want the CEO to win, and I want whoever I'm bringing in to also win so that everybody's gaining from the relationships that we're creating. Sure, well, you, you mentioned the name of that organization, which is called Provisors. And and I and I have found that that is you know one of the advantages of being in this organization is is kind of the bench right I got a now I've got a bench of people right and right. And, and and you've heard my kind of thirty second or uh, fifteen seconds sometimes ten seconds you know who am I and I use the word holistic because it isn't just about marketing and and and, and when I say the word marketing ninety nine percent of the time my belief. The first thing they think of is website, digital campaigns, right? Mm -hmm. Print ads, television. And that's like the farthest thing from my mind. I'm, I want to be that strategic side. But more importantly, is broadening it out because whatever we do in co cooperation with sales is going to impact HR, it's going to impact, impact manufacturing, inventory people, right? The, the worker right. bees, uh, doesn't really matter. The entire company is impacted. So I like to go on that broader view to understand where the holes are, which right. probably in in my belief and, and practice, like with the, with the chief strategy officer position, I have the fractional chief strategy officer. I'm now head of HR because I recognize that we can't fulfill the orders if we can't do the customer centricity and really be customer focused because I don't have the right people that trickles down into we're not hiring right that's right. probably how I ended up in that situation to begin yeah. with because I was a loud voice on that so they're really integrated and I certainly understand that top down and that sets the tone and and because I sit in the c-suite with a lot of folks when I'm, I'm working with them I get to see how it trickles down I was in a situation the other day where I do this assessment and one of the questions was about onboarding and the question was, do we have a good onboarding program? And there were 11 people that took the assessment and, and it was all over the place, which I always find interesting. Uh -huh. but I'm in a room with a number, the CEO and, and basically the president. CEO rated it a five and, and the uh, president, who's also the head of sales, rated it a one. Oh, and CEO turns to him and says, you know, so you don't think we have a good program? And he says, no, I don't. And the answer was, well, you know, why haven't we addressed it? And isn't that your responsibility? Uh -huh. so it's just, it kind of an interesting dynamic. But I, 
as we're talking, it wasn't like, what do you mean yet? We don't have one, right? It was a very, you know, cooperative and, and a strong relationship that they had together. Yeah. You know, and I could see how that rolls out through the rest of the company versus that pounding the desk or, you know, that kind of stuff. So fascinating, fascinating. Well, there's there's an interesting element to this. And I, I love your story because these are two executives who want to work together, want to want to make things better. Um, but one of the things I will say to CEOs, and they don't like to hear this, Angelo, I will say, look, if things are going well in the company, you need to pat yourself on the back. You made that happen. But if things are not going well, it's your fault. Yeah. It, they don't like to hear that. But ultimately, it means that either you're not on top of this issue that's important, or you didn't hire the right people, or you didn't delegate appropriately, or you let the culture get out of hand. Whatever it is, ultimately, it's your responsibility to make sure that things are getting better, things are improving. So much of the work of the CEO is to manage the people under them, like in your example, this VP of sales. And I love the question is, well, why haven't we talked about that? And But the CEO in that example, I think needs to step back and say, well, why haven't I been able to uncover that sooner? If it's a one, that's a low rating. Mm -hmm. There should have been other signs. Maybe I'm not attentive enough. Maybe I'm not asking the right questions. Maybe I'm not, in, uh, enabling that head of sales or and, and or president in this case um, tell me what's going on more because it took Angelo to create this this communication well how can we do that if Angelo is not in the room so that's the hard part about being the CEO is acknowledging that responsibility for everything yeah it's interesting um, so I delivered another assessment and, it, and I call it a, a marketing assessment it looks at internal and external audiences product perception, leverageability, engagement, strategy. I delivered one, another one and there were six people who took it and I was provided the people. But when I presented the findings, the CEO was in the room. Uh-huh. And and he while he had gotten the copy, he had not read it. So sure. he was now seeing these incredibly low ratings and still a diversity among the team and you know, he couldn't believe that that you know those were true and, and it was like you know it's a month later because it took them time to get everybody scheduled but that was a snapshot in time and so my yeah. thing is let's prioritize let's figure out which ones need to be fixed today that are going right. to impact the business and which ones are, are are things that need to be fixed but you know it's not going to jeopardize anything and and it took a while because he kept wanting to ask questions why did you do that why did you do that and and, uh -huh. I, and I said let's not put people on the spot because yeah, that's how they felt at that point in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what sure. it indicates is we need to make changes going forward. And and part of that, because I've now been dealing with them for a few months, I could see that a lot of all that stuff at the bottom all started at the top. And, yeah. and you're just really making me think about that. And it's it's interesting uh, accepting responsibility versus throwing shade on somebody else. It's another uncomfortable part of the role. Yeah, yeah. Well, good for you for helping to uncover those issues. That sounds like a really valuable service. Yeah, so far, uh, it. I wish I could say somebody hit it out of the park, but nobody has. And, and that's the goal of the whole thing is is to start. Because my, my operating procedure is I need to understand how the team has perception on all of these issues. 
Yeah. Because if my goal is to bring alignment and create solid messaging and plans, right? Mm-hmm. Growth and to strategic plans, I could start there, which I wouldn't, but I can. But at the end of the day, nobody's ever going to agree because we can't agree on the fundamentals. We can't agree right. on our values. We can't agree on our messaging. I mean, 11 people when, and I do a follow-up, I do one-on-one interviews as well. One of the questions is you're in an elevator. Somebody asks you about your company. How would you describe it? Oh, 11 yeah. people, 11 different answers. Yeah. Right. So those will create a lot of issues. Well, this has been a, a, a fascinating conversation, but I, I want to, there was something else on your LinkedIn page. Oh, okay. And it was you called yourself the AI guy. So explain that. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. So um, this is what I call my nights and weekends work, okay. which is uh, related to artificial intelligence. Um, sure. I'm a big fan of artificial intelligence in general. I know uh, that it is a massive wave that is approaching us and is going to transform the world, literally. Every industry is going to be transformed through it. And my expertise, I'm an expert in AI, but at a, in, a, in a tiny niche, Angelo. It's at the board level. So what I mean by that is there are many, many, many companies out there who don't have any expertise on the board around artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what industry. It's going to impact that industry. My passion is around helping boards understand the implications of AI to their future. And many are not paying attention to it at all. And I'm talking about what I call non-AI first companies. I live in Silicon Valley. There are lots of AI first companies. That's not who I'm talking to. Mm -hmm. I'm talking to the Midwest Manufacturing Company or the Financial Services Company in New York or the Real Estate Development Company all of whom are going to be impacted in a great, uh, significant way by AI. So I write a column in Forbes on that topic. Oh, okay. And I've spoken at the Wall Street Journal Summit on artificial intelligence and the National Association of Corporate Directors. And I'm going to be speaking at another group called the uh, uh, Private Company Directors Association on AI as well. Oh, nice. There's, uh, I had a guest on, one of my earlier guests, that's I, uh, I was looking on my bookshelf here trying to find the name of his book. Um, oh. He's a, a speaker and he, he spoke and did a podcast on AI. Oh, and, great. And uh, his name was Patrick Schwarzfigger. Uh, not Schwarzfigger. Uh, yeah, Schwarzfigger. Okay. Uh, I'm happy to to send you info on him. I I'd love to see it. Yeah, but he but he's he when I first met him, that was his entire presentation was about educating people about the coming of AI and how it's going to impact you know, our futures. It's going to impact you and me too, Angelo. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, and I look at, you know, the ability of another client who, who's in the, um, over the OTT, which is the streaming industry and the predictability of, of, you know, Netflix serving up videos based on behaviors and patterns and, and, and the kinds of stuff that he's working on. It's, it's oh, yeah. really, really fascinating, scary, frankly, but, fascinating stuff it's already here angelo uh when if i don't i don't spend time on facebook but if you spend time on facebook facebook is run by artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. and and unfortunately the artificial intelligence here's an example of how it's going to impact our lives it is fine-tuned 
to cause people to spend more time on the site. It sounds sounds like a pretty good objective. I mean, if you're if you're an advertiser, which Facebook is, you want people to spend time on the site, you get more advertisers. But what's happened, we all know this, is that the more incendiary my post, the more people are going to say things about it and spend time mm -hmm. on Facebook. And so unbeknownst to us as just humans, the AI has said polarization is a good thing. And we tend to start to adopt some of these things we're hearing because they're polar opposite points of view. AI loves that and therefore Facebook loves that. But we as humans have been manipulated by AI already. It's pretty scary. Yeah. In you know in the research world, which which is part of my background in, in core, we look at you know quantitative studies. We looked at predictive analytics. We utilize sure. that in a lot of cases. But there's also the kind of that next level up is prescriptive, right? So machine learning and and so you predicting um, you know what happened and then how to make it happen. And and I always like the story. And, and I don't know if you've ever heard this one. I think it was down in San Diego and. I think it was Target was looking. Oh yeah, using I know this story. Analytics <laughs> about uh, about pregnancy. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and so and so understanding that you know kind of where it's going. We just finished a project not too long ago, actually for another Provisor member, where we were trying to understand behaviors mm -hmm. about shopping behaviors uh, in COVID. So yeah. pre-COVID, in COVID, but we were predicting what would happen after COVID. And that right. was going to impact because new product development. But we were able to do uh, predictive models on who is more likely to buy, mm. where they were in the country, what their behaviors were and stuff like that. that Fascinating. That we were able to, I have a couple of data scientists I work with. And so they were able to create these models that we could overlay onto the, you know, the quantitative data that we developed. And it, it was very fascinating. And the most interesting part of all of this, and this was about shopping, is the return on investment of marketing dollars actually was higher if a man was shopping versus a woman. And oh, it made, interesting. It, and it didn't make a lot of sense, but then it did because in analyzing the data, women were sending their husbands to the stores so they didn't get sick, <laughs> they, ah. so they didn't get sick right? And so it's just kind of interesting to see these dynamics and how these things can play. And, and again, being able to make a prediction on who you should target and those kinds of things. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, Getting good. Crazy. We'll so, have to talk more about AI in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as we kind of wind this down, three pieces of advice for my listeners. Could be two, could be one. Look, whether you're, it doesn't matter what role you have. If you can adopt the posture of, I want to learn, I want to get better, you're going to learn and you're going to get better at whatever it is you choose you want to be better at. And so that's number one. I really recommend that to any person. The second is, along this journey, what's important is to enjoy the journey because it's about the journey. It's, it's why we're doing what we're doing. And you can take any situation that you're in and determine, I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to be happy while I'm doing this. Maybe it's just because it's a stepping stone to something better. But the fact that you're in it 
And if you are happier and are enjoying the work better, you'll do better work. You'll perform at a higher level. So that's my advice. All right. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much. This has been great. Why don't you tell the audience uh, how they can reach you, connect with you, your website, all that good stuff. Yes. Thank you for asking. It's very simple. It's glengow.com. So my first name has two N's in it. My last name is G-O-W. So it's G-L-E-N-N-G-O-W.com. Very simple. All right, Glenn. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed it. And thank you for joining me on the cafe. Loved it, Angelo. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Glenn, thank you for stopping by the cafe today. What a great conversation. I know my listeners are really going to benefit from that, as frankly as I have. I, I, if I can walk away from my shows having felt like I learned something too, but, you know, that's all the better because I, my show is about advice to my listeners. But, hey, I'm a listener too. I always listen to my own shows. And so I like to benefit from them as well. So listeners out there, you got Glenn's contact information please feel uh, free to reach out to him, contact him on LinkedIn, send him an email, all that good stuff. And I want to thank you for stopping by as well. Now, if you're a subscriber to the show, I really want to thank you. And I encourage you to tell others about the show so they can benefit. I also like to ask you a favor and go online, whatever your favorite podcast platform is, give me a rating, give me a comment, help build more awareness of the show uh, I, I really feel that we're, we're, you know, as we continue to build and build and build, it's, it's you, the listeners, that help drive the awareness and the recognition and the listenership of this show. And if you're new to the show, I encourage you to sign up to make sure you don't miss a single episode. I've got some special things coming up. I'm going to be launching, uh, I think at one point in time, I called it five at five. I think now it's going to be called seven at seven, seven o'clock every morning for a month. I'm going to do seven minutes live focused on marketing and activities as we come into the fourth quarter of 2021 and we prepare for 2022. I've got a lot of little tidbits and advice pieces I'd like to give out. So I encourage you to, again, sign up to make sure you don't miss a single one of those. Thank you so much for stopping by and I encourage you to go to my LinkedIn page connect with me there on LinkedIn, go to my website, theponzagroup.com. I would like to announce that I am going to be repositioning and changing the company name coming up soon. So again, you're going to get to hear about that as we move forward. A lot of the same services, a lot of the great capabilities, but we're adding some and we're repositioning the name. Uh, Not that I don't love my last name, but I think we've got a new one that's going to resonate a little bit more. So again, thank you so much for stopping by and we'll see you here next week at the Business Growth Cafe. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.